0: Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful to be here. Grateful for your word, for your presence, for your care and watching over us. Grateful for your desire for us to know you in a very intimate and personal way. uh, Praise to you for saving us and providing a way for us to be fully saved. Lord, we, we pray that you would just really bless us in this time. Just really take in what you have for us. We thank you and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I think of the word covenant, one of the first things that comes to my mind is marriage. Because marriage is one of those places where we are to make a covenant. We are to come together with the intention of making a lifelong promise. And so when I marry couples, I always... Ask them about their intention. And when I ask them intention, I say it like this. Understanding that God has created, ordered, and blessed the covenant of marriage, do you affirm your desire and intention to enter into this covenant? And then I have each of them say, I do. And I use that word covenant purposely because when a couple comes together, they are to make a promise A covenant together, two parties making this promise together that they will stay together married forever. It is a lifelong promise that God has designed for a man and a woman to come together in marriage for it to be lifelong and for it to be binding, for it to be a covenant. This morning we continue in our Tenets of faith, the eco-tenets of faith. Remember, the tenets of faith are those foundational scriptural truths that we are to understand, know, believe, and live out. And so we're going through our tenets of faith, through our denomination, so we understand what are those important aspects, those important spiritual truths that we all need to understand and live out in our lives. We're looking this morning at Roman numeral 3, letters C and D, which is the covenant life in the church and the faithful stewardship of all life. We're going to see how God has established a covenant between himself and his people. A covenant between his people and the church. A covenant between his people in the church and the work he has called us to do in the world. So, 3C starts off by saying, we are elect in Christ to become members of the community of the new covenant. One thing you'll notice in our denomination in ECO is we no longer are to be called members. We are called covenant partners. Why? Because it is about that covenant that God makes with us and we make with him, and that covenant that we make with each other. We are covenant partners together and connected to God but it talks about a new covenant. The New Testament talks about a new covenant. Now before we get into the new covenant, I want to talk briefly about the old covenant. What is the old covenant, and why was a new covenant needed? So we come to Genesis 17, 1-2. And when you see the yellow, please read with me. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now, this is actually the second time that God brought the covenant to Abraham. The first time was when he said, Go, just go that direction. Just start walking that way, and I'll tell you where you get where you need to be, right? Can you imagine that? If you just packed up your car and your, and your family in the car and you just started driving and your kids are like, where are we going, Dad? I don't know. We're just going that way. Where are we going to stop? I don't know. God will tell us when we get there, right? With Abraham making that commitment of moving forward, he did his side of the covenant, right? A covenant is between two parties between God and between us. And so when Abraham took that step of faith and started walking out, he said, I agree to that part of the covenant. But what happened? Do You remember the story, right? Abraham and his wife Sarah got a little nervous. God promised them a child. In fact, he promised them many children. And years and years went by, and they didn't have any children, right? And so they tried to have children on their own through his uh, his, uh, concubine, right? His servant, uh, Sarah's servant. And God was like, why are you doing that? You don't trust me? And so when they finally had Isaac he came back to Abraham and he said, are you going to fulfill your side of the covenant? I have not changed in my side, are you going to fulfill? So he made this old he made this covenant with the people. It's reaffirmed in Je- Jeremiah 31-33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be God and they will be my people and so God gives this covenant he says not only am I going to give it to you I'm going to I'm going to put it in your mind I'm going to write it in your heart right it's going to be very distinct and and personal. but as you go through the Old Testament you'll see that time and time and time again God's people turned away from him they follow the gods of other nations they walked away from God. They strayed away, they, they didn't fulfill their side of the covenant. And so a new covenant was needed to be made. A new covenant that would be in Christ. And so we read in Luke twenty two twenty. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Now we, we see this, you hear this all the time, right? Every time we do the Lord's Supper, first Sunday every month, we have the Lord's Supper, and I talk about Jesus pouring out his blood for us. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new covenant, and this new covenant has been established by my giving my life for you. My dying on the cross for you is that commitment to you, my commitment to you, my side of the covenant. I am making this covenant to you. Because we cannot fulfill our side of the covenant on our own, we need Jesus to bring us to a place where we could seek to faithfully live for God, to live out our side of the covenant. In Christ, our sins are forgiven, and we are cleansed and made holy so that we could enter into this covenant with God through Christ. But even better, not only does Christ help us to enter into this covenant, but Christ is the guarantee of the new covenant. Let me say that again. Christ is the guarantee of this new covenant. Meaning that in those times we fail to sustain our side of the agreement, the forgiveness that we receive from Jesus Christ keeps us in the covenant. The blessings that are promised in this covenant agreement by God are provided and secured for us in Christ. Now that is a huge and important step and truth that we need to understand. Because Christ is perfect, he can perfectly keep our side of the agreement so that when we default, it falls on Christ to make up for us where we have failed. That is why the Bible tells us in Hebrews 7.22, Because of this oath, what? Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Let's say that again. Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, it's possible that my son Tyler is going to be buying a car soon, and it's possible that he might need to finance it some. And even though he's going to have a great job at Northrop Grumman, probably make more money than me, Right out of college, right? When he goes, even though he, had, because he hasn't had his job for very long, the car company might not trust what he's going to make. We may have to co-sign with him. Now, what does it mean when you co-sign for someone? What it means is if, for some reason, Tyler chooses not to or is not able to fulfill his part of the covenant agreement with the dealership, if he's not able to pay his part... Who does it fall on? His parents. <laughs> right? We, by co signing, promise to fulfill his part of this agreement. So if he, for any reason, fails, then it comes on us to make that payment. Now, I tell you that example because that is what Jesus does for us. Christ has already paid the price that we owe by dying on the cross. So that when, not if, but when we fail to live up to our side of the agreement, Christ steps in and fills that gap for us. He pays the price that we cannot pay for ourselves. He brings us back to himself, lifts us up and says, try again. And so every time that we stumble and fall, fail, go astray, every time we do not fulfill our side of it, Jesus stands up and fills a gap for us and guarantees that we will be able to stay in that covenant. That's why it's a better new covenant. Because in Christ, we are able then to stay in this covenant and we're able to fulfill our side of things. Yet we must understand that even though we aren't saved by works, our faith leads us to good works. Our faith leads us to good works. We are called to God, elected by Him for salvation. Once we are saved, we are then called to faithfully participate in the work of the church, the keeping of the unity of the church, and the work that is to be done throughout the world. This is our call, the good works we are called to do as part of this covenant. We're not... To be lazy or isolated, think, oh, I'm saved, all is good. It doesn't stop there. He calls us to live out our salvation, to live out our part of the covenant by doing these good works in the church, the unity of the church, the work of God in the world. We're called to do this. The church is not to be seen as an organization, but oftentimes people see it as an organization. But you know what? The church is really an organism. It is alive with God's people doing the work of Jesus Christ. As we are united to God through Christ, so we are united to one another in the work we do for Christ. This is why we must be unified in purpose, right? Because if we're not unified in purpose, then we can't do together the work of God. We cannot agree upon what we're supposed to do. One person has their idea and another person has their idea and I have my idea and we're all trying to battle who's going to win, who's going to get their idea. But if we all look to the the will of God, if we're all humbled before the will of God and unified under the purpose of what God has for us, then we can have that unity and we can serve God in fullness together as God's covenant people. Within the church, we come to grow in faith, disciple, and be discipled. Outside of the church, we take the gospel, the love of Christ, to a lost and hurting world. We are bound to other brothers and sisters in Christ around the world doing the same work that God calls us all to do for his kingdom. As I open up the service or the sermon talking about marriage, I want to circle back to that illustration again. If you wanted to know if I was a good husband to Tammy, you would look at certain things in our relationship, right? You would look to see whether or not I am doing what I am supposed to do as a husband. Am I meeting her physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional needs? Am I caring for her in the good times and the bad times? Am I committed to her at all times, right? Right? Am I loving her as Christ loved the church, as husbands are called to do in Ephesians 5.25? You would look at these marks of what it means to be a true and good husband, right? And then you would say, he's doing okay. <laughs> right? And that's what we do with the church. There are, there are a couple of true marks of the church that we talk about in the Reformed denomination. And the two true marks of the church is the, the preaching of the gospel and the right administration of the sacraments. Apart from the gospel being preached, there is no true church. Let me say that again. Apart from the preaching of the gospel, there is no true church. We see this in Jesus. When he started his ministry, Matthew four seventeen, he came and the first thing he said to everybody was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent from your sin. Turn to God. He preached the gospel from the very beginning. And then, right before he left, right, Matthew 28 18 to 20, he gave us the great commission. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, preaching to them, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, along with the preaching of the word, the second great uh, mark of the church is that of the sacraments. That is, Uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so I want to put up from you a couple of uh, quotes from our Tenants of Faith. One says, Baptizing infants, we confess our confidence in God's gracious initiative that a baby who cannot turn to God is nonetheless claimed as a member of the covenant community, a child of God, cleansed by grace and sealed by the Spirit. See, baptism is not about what we do. Baptism is about what God does. And so God calls us to baptize even infants because it's not about making that expression of faith. It's about what God does in their life, that God claims them as a com- in the covenant community, cleanses them by his grace, and seals them by his spirit. But along with that, baptizing adults, we confess our confidence that God's grace can make us new creations at any stage in our life. When you receive Jesus, if you're later on, on in your life and you receive Jesus, you're to be baptized as an adult because God is making you a new creation and that baptism is not only the expression, but God's washing away our sinning and, and cleansing us and renewing us and bringing us into his kingdom as new creations. But then it goes on. In the Lord's Supper, we confess that as we eat the bread and share one cup, the Spirit unites us to the ascended Christ so that his resurrection life may nourish, strengthen, and transform us. So we have have baptism and we have the Lord's Supper. And when we practice or when we participate in these practices, together as God's people, we join in unity with Christ And He's empowering us to be His people in the world. Not of the world, but in the world. His people in the world. To love others for Him. Amen? That's an amen. We We become the covenant people of God when we do this together. But then the tenets of faith continue in letter D. Where it says, The ministries of the church reflect the threefold office of Christ as prophet, priest, and king reflected in the church's ordered ministries of teaching elders, deacons, and ruling elders. Now it's interesting because when you, if you look at that outline and you see the, the, in the outline, it says faithful stewardship of all life. Now a lot of times when people hear that word stewardship, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Money, yes. Stewardship, money. Stewardship, money, right? Oh, you need to be good stewards. Oh, I need to give my money. That's, that's the first thing that comes to people's mind. Then the second thing may be, oh, I need to give my time, I need to give my talents, my gifts, right? So it's time, talents, money. It's usually what we think about when we think of stewardship. But here in this morning, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to broaden your understanding of what the whole concept of stewardship means. It is greater than those It encompasses all of our life. So first we see that God has established roles within the church of leadership, that reflects this threefold ministry. So teaching elders, or ministers, as we know, are to be the prophets or the speaker of God's truth to God's people. When a minister preaches and teaches, they are to speak in a way so that the truth of God comes into the lives of the people, into the minds, into the hearts, moves them to understand what is true, but moves them also to live out what is true, right? Right? to impart that truth of God in a way that motivates people to live more in the way God calls us to live. It moves people to repentance and leads them to action. Whereas deacons are to serve in the role of the priest. The office of deacons fo- focuses in a priestly way on blessing those in need. That's what the role of a deacon is. You see someone in need, and the person, who has, the person that makes a good deacon is someone who has a, a great, caring heart, right? See a need and I want to help that person in need. I want to uplift that person. I want to love that person who's in need. I want to care for that person who's in need. They are like a priest in the Old Testament who cares for the people who are sick and lost and, and suffering. And you come alongside them. Thirdly, the ruling elder, or simply elders as we call them, is to fulfill the role of king. Now when I say king, oh, the elders are like, oh, I like that, right? <laughs> I'm a king. <laughs> right, elders? no. I'm not talking about like a dictatorship here where you're like lording over the people. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not that kind of a king. You're to fulfill the role of leader in that you govern over the life of the church. You make sure the church is doing what it's supposed to do. You make sure that the the people have what they need. You make sure the church is going in the right direction. You are the, the overseer of the ministries of the church. Now, many of you who aren't, ministers or elders or deacons might be getting a little comfortable right now, right? Thinking, oh, I'm not included in this. I'm exempt, right? Well, don't get too comfortable. Because this truth is really for all of Christians. In some way, all Christians fulfill all three roles of Christ's threefold office of ministry. Let me tell you how. We are all called to be prophets, priests, and kings. We are called to proclaim the good news to the world and enact that good news in our lives. We are to speak the message of truth in words and in deeds. And then along with this, we are to extend the lordship, the kingship of Christ to every corner of the world to make sure that people understand that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are to, be remind, we are to remind people that there is only one Lord That we are to trust and follow. And we are to share in the suffering of the world by extending Christ's love to all in need. So all Christians are to play this role of prophet and priest and king in their life. They are to reach out and speak the truth of God. They are to minister to people in need. They are to make sure that people understand that Jesus Christ alone is Lord of the life. There's a true story of a drunk named Joe. And Joe was a very not-so-good person, right? And he was drunk all the time, and he had no direction, and he was lost in his life. But Joe one day found Jesus. And his life was changed. His life was transformed. So much so that he started serving in the homeless shelter and helping those in need. He saw where he once was, and he saw now all these people that were where he once was, and he wanted to help them. Nothing was too low for Joe. He would clean up the vomit of a, an alcoholic. He would scrub toilets. He would serve. He would care. He would help. He would do everything. He was always there searching and, or helping and caring for people. And people in these homeless shelters got to know Joe. And Joe had this amazing reputation because of that. One day after evangelistic service, the minister uh, asked people if they wanted to receive Jesus, and a number of people did. And so he was leading them in prayer to receive Jesus. But while he was praying the words and they were to repeat them, he kept hearing this one man, he kept saying, Lord, make me like Joe, Lord, make me like Joe, Lord, make me like Joe. We finished the prayer, and he went down to talk to the man, and and they were talked for a little bit, and he said, I think you meant to say, make me like Jesus. The man looked at the minister and he said, Is he like Joe? (laughs) See, this man, this drunk, couldn't see Jesus. But he saw Joe, didn't he? He saw Joe's actions. He saw Joe's love. He saw Joe's transformed life. And so in his mind, he's like, Lord, make me like Joe. Make me like that. I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. I want to be like Joe. Because Joe exemplified Jesus, didn't he? Joe was Jesus in the flesh. People could see Joe and his actions. We too need to be committed to fulfilling this threefold ministry so that people will see our lives transformed. But how do we do this? So often we feel ill equipped, we feel inadequate. We don't know how to be like Joe. We don't know how to be like Jesus, right? How can I fulfill that threefold office? It's such a high standing, high standard. And the truth is we do it by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through our lives, to conform us to the pattern of Christ's life. The Holy Spirit puts in us this desire to serve God and gives us the abilities that we need to fulfill what God has for us to do. So first of all, the Holy Spirit fills us with the fruit of Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He fills us with that. Again, I've said this before. I'll repeat it again just so that you understand. It's not fruits of the Spirit. You don't say, oh yeah, I have kindness and goodness and faithfulness, but I don't know about the others. It is fruit, singular, fruit of the Spirit. We have all nine fruit of the Spirit. Now, they may not all be active and you know of full amount in our lives but they're all planted in us and we need the holy spirit to nurture that so that these fruit are coming out in our life wouldn't it be great if someone said i want to be like that person and they say your name i want to be like that person and they say your name i don't like to be like greg why because i see all these things in greg and i want to be like greg and then greg says well thank you but you should be like jesus And let me tell you who Jesus is, and that's who you want to be like. Right? Not only does he fill us with the fruit of the Spirit, but he fills us with the gifts of the Spirit. Service and hospitality and teaching and and helps and all these great gifts, these talents that God gives us to benefit others, to bless others, to lead others to Jesus Christ. That's what the gifts are for. They're not to say, man, I'm pretty talented. I can preach and I can teach and I'm hospitable and I'm always bringing people over to my house and I'm doing... No, it's not for bragging rights. It's so that you bring people into the kingdom of God. But lastly, we need to understand that if we are to be faithful stewards, we cannot do this on our own because the stain of sin is still upon us. We have to understand that cleansing is needed so that any power sin might still have over us can be taken away by the, the cleansing of Jesus in our lives. We need to ask God to wash us clean from the residue that still exists and might taint our thoughts and actions. We have to humble ourselves before God and admit that only by the power of Christ's blood can we be renewed, refreshed, and prepared to live the life God calls us to live. Even more, we must acknowledge that no part of human life is off limits to the sanctifying claims of God. Our affections and our desires must be brought under God's authority because if they are not, we don't get everything to God. If we hold anything back, then it will keep us from being faithful stewards. We won't want to give our money because we believe it belongs to us and not the Lord. We won't, to give, won't want to give our time because we have our own priorities and that's where my time is going to go. We won't want to give our possessions because our possessions will possess us. We must be like the father who came to Jesus and asked Jesus to heal his son. But there was still a part of him that didn't really believe that Jesus could do it. And after Jesus assured the man that he could do it, this is the father's response. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Some of you might be out there saying, yeah, I believe that God could work in my life, but I don't know, there's still doubt. Yeah, I believe that I can share the gospel with someone and they will accept Jesus as their Savior and your Lord, but then still in your mind there's, there's some doubt. Yeah, I can be a deacon, I can be an elder, but mm, there's still some Doubt. I do believe, God. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me to believe that Jesus can do anything that he wants me to do. God made us a promise, a covenant to salvation, to new life. As covenants work, it takes both parties to come into that agreement, right? We must accept our part of this covenant which comes by having faith in Jesus Christ and then knowing that Christ fills that gap when we fail to do our part, as we are called to do. And when we do this, we will be given a new life, a new heart, a new mind, and a new resolve. We will be cleansed from our sin and prepared to do the good works God has for us. There's a great drought in the Midwest, and it was getting worse and worse, and it was impacting the farmers, and they're getting really, really scared because they weren't having any food and they weren't able to earn their wages. And it was really a very desperate time. And so the, the local church called a prayer meeting. And all the people in the community gathered together. They were going to pray for rain. And they all were there because they were desperate, right? And the the minister showed up and he's walking down the the middle aisle and he came to the front of the church and he looked over and there's a little girl sitting in the front row, this big smile on her face. And sitting next to her was a red umbrella. And it dawned on the minister that this girl was the only one that had enough faith that God was going to do what they were going to ask him to do. She believed that when they were done with that prayer meeting, It was going to be raining, and so she needed an umbrella. What great faith that is. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you believe that God is going to work in and through your life? Are you prepared to be fully in this covenant, or are you just like putting one foot in, thinking, well, I want to be in the world, and I want to be with God. I want to be with both are you fully in? Do you have your own red umbrella with you? Believing that after you pray this prayer, God, use me. God, help me lead someone to Christ. God, make me impactful in this world. Do you believe that in a way that you're prepared to do what God calls you to do? Do you have your own red umbrella with